Uh, thank you, Flourishing Grace. I'm super excited to be here and uh, uh, super honored that you would let me uh, share with you today. And, and really just that partnership that Josh is talking about, it really goes both ways. We're like, we're so encouraged by uh, your all's prayers and, and sending people up our way too to help out. And it's just a, it's really beautiful to see kind of the church uh, be the church across state lines and kind of love one another and be united, you know. And so, so I appreciate what Josh said, but just know it's like, Flourishing Grace is like everyone's favorite at Church of the Cross, so, so thank you. Um, but yeah, so today... Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, 2020 and just how much fun it's been. And uh, no, 2020, it's been a little bit of a beatdown, right? Like uh, we all kind of went into this season um, with our eyes like open and we're like, yeah, we're going to have 2020 vision. Everything's going to work out great. And then January hits and, you know, we like, we lost Kobe and then, you know, coronavirus and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and race riots. And then all of this during a season that's just been super mellow politically where, you know, both sides are just getting along so well and there's no turmoil, turmoil or angst in the country, right? It's just, it's been, it's been a rough season for our country. Um, and, and it's easy, it's, it's normal even to be in a season like this um, and, and to kind of take this posture of what's next, like, this is terrible. What's, what's going to happen next? Where's the, the bottom going to fall out again? And, and uh, I definitely think that's the posture that the world's kind of taking on, uh, people who are outside of Christ. Um, and and uh, for us, though, as followers of Jesus, um, we, we have something to cling to that other people don't, right? And so we're going to be talking about this for the next three weeks. We have um, what we have that's kind of different than everyone else is God's sustaining grace. And so we're doing a, a sermon series for the next three weeks called God's Sustaining Grace. And, uh, and, and we're looking at Philippians uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 6. And, and you don't have to turn there. This is just kind of like the, the verse that we're using almost as a launching point to, to wrap our heads around this idea of God's sustaining grace. Um, and it says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so the idea here is that the God who began a good work in you is going to continue that good work in you, and he's going to complete that good work in you at the day of Christ Jesus. And so we're going to take the next three weeks to look at each one of those. And so uh, today, we're going to talk about how by God's grace, he began a good work in us, right? And we're going we're gonna to look at this uh, through the lens of Paul's life in Philippians chapter 3. And so now you can turn, if you want to go to Philippians chapter 3, we're looking at um, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And uh, as I was preparing this, this, this sermon uh, and, and thinking through it, I kept being reminded of this uh, like Greek myth um, from Homer's, uh, I think it's either the Odyssey or the Iliad, I can't, maybe it's in both. Um, but it's this uh, myth of uh, this guy named Sisyphus. And uh, this myth, it's kind of one that we all like resonate with a little bit. There's a little bit of sting to it when we read it. Um, and it's this guy, he's a uh, Sisyphus, he's like the, the king of Corinth and this like super prosperous city. Um, but, but he's kind of a schemer. He's always kind of working to get ahead in life and, and uh, he's plotting and, and manipulating situations to his advantage. And so, so this gets like Zeus pretty frustrated. And so uh, Zeus eventually hits this boiling point when Sisyphus betrays him uh, to get this like freshwater spring in their city and Zeus sends him to Hades. Well, Sisyphus escapes and he gets out, and uh, to kind of shorten it up a little bit, he basically gets recaptured, brought down again. He escapes again, and then Zeus goes after him personally and says, I will personally escort you to Hades. And when he gets there, he doesn't just leave him there. He actually curses him. And so uh, he tells Sisyphus, hey, while you're here, your job is to roll this boulder up this hill. 
And so Sisyphus thinking like, no problem. You know, I've got this. I'm, I'm kind of a worker. You know, I get things done. I can, I can achieve this. And so, uh, so he starts rolling and he's rolling and he's rolling and he's rolling. He almost gets to the top of the hill and the boulder starts losing traction. And it comes back on him. It goes all the way back down the mountain, right? And so then he starts over. He hikes back down. He's rolling it. He's rolling it. He's rolling it. He's rolling it. He almost gets it there. It happens again. And he's starting to pick up the pattern now, right? Every time he gets that boulder right to the top of the mountain, He's almost there, almost got that goal. It rolls back down. And, and you see, for all of Sisyphus's scheming and working and trying on earth, he was cursed to a lifetime of work that could never be completed. Constantly rolling a boulder up a hill only to have it fall back on him right when he's almost there. And so uh, Sisyphus's curse is that the boulder always comes back down. It never gets to the top of the mountain. And I think we hear this, I hear this myth and it, it stings a little bit, right? Sometimes I find myself in that myth. It's a little too close to home because many of us can relate to Sisyphus in this perpetual cycle of, of meaningless work that, that never reaches an end and always is unsatisfying. And so Sisyphus' uh, boulder, it becomes the metaphor in our lives for whatever it is that we work for to try to find purpose and meaning. You know, this boulder can be your work. It can be your family, your financial goals, your relationship status. This boulder, this boulder can be your religion, right? Whatever it is that you work at to try to earn the good life that you desire, that is your boulder, and so this, this life of straining towards a goal that can never be truly achieved, this is the life that God saved Paul out of. And this is, this is the good work that God began in Paul's life. And it's the, it's the good work, it's the life that God wants to save us from. Right, he wants to, he wants to free us from the burden of Sisyphus' stone. He, he wants to give us a life of meaning and purpose and satisfaction in him. And so today in our text in Philippians 1, uh, you know, or Philippians 3, 1 through 11, we're going to see two truths that kind of emerge from this text. And, and the first is that what we do will never give us what we need. And what we need was given to us by what Jesus did. What we do will never give us what we need, and what we need was given to us by what Jesus did. And so if you have your Bibles open, we're going to go ahead and read this starting at verse 1 says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." This is the word of the Lord, and uh, we thank the Lord for it. And so um, as we open up the scripture, the first truth that we see emerge um, is that what we do will never give us what we need. 
right? What we do will never give us what we need. And what we see happening here in this text is that Paul's shifting gears a little bit from the tone that he's taking in the rest of the letter. In Philippians 1, he's super encouraging. Then we get to Philippians kind of 127 through chapter 2, and he's talking about um, community. There's like a rift in the community, and he's talking about how to fix it and how that is ultimately done in Christ and humility. Um, and, and the whole time, uh, he's kind of got this positive demeanor, right? But all of a sudden, in chapter 3, his whole demeanor changes, he goes from talking about beloved brothers with, with affection and depth of love and, and longing for these people to talking about dogs, like evildoers, mutilation, right? Paul, Paul he's, a, he's a little angry, and it's because the next issue that Paul's talking about here in this text um, is what, what like we followers of Jesus would call like legalism, right? And Paul hates this idea. It gets him super fired up, right? And it's, it's the belief that uh, if I do enough good things— God will accept me. Or there's like a, a non-Christian version of this too that I think a lot of us followers of Jesus kind of fall into. It's this idea that, that if I work hard enough in life, I can achieve my own version of the good life, right? Because uh, here's the thing, even if you're not a Christian, you can be a legalist. You, you probably are. You can define your sense of worth and your value and your fulfillment in what you do. And so your vision, your vision of the good life is something that you earn. And I think what happens for us a lot of times uh, as followers of Jesus is that uh, we, we don't fully rest in our identity in God. And so sometimes we can kind of try to earn favor with him. And then we don't do that. We can't do that. And so then we try to uh, relieve that tension by achieving our own version of the good life. And so sometimes we can kind of get the worst of both worlds, but, but Paul is not about this, right? The church in Philippi, they were this devout group of achievers. They loved Jesus and they were, they were always working to do the right things uh, because they wanted to. They, they actually wanted to please God. And so then these Jews came along and, and they started telling them, well, you're not actually following God. Like if you want to be a real follower of God, uh, you, need to, you need to comply with all these Jewish laws. That's what real followers of God do. And this caused this little church of Philippi to start leaning on their works, right, to achieve their own righteousness, to earn a place before God. And Paul now, like at this point in the letter, he's addressing this legalism that's crept into the church. The Jews um, at this point, in the, the Jews that Paul's addressing, they believed that, that what they did actually made them right before God. And, and we see throughout the scripture that this, this isn't true, right? In, in scripture, we see that, that God created a law, but before he ever established a law, he, he established a relationship, we see this all the way back, back to the Exodus. We see that God has called the people of Israel to himself. He delivers them from slavery. He provides food and water for them in the desert. He gives them victory over their enemies. And then we see, we see God just kind of working and, and forming this relationship with the people. And then he gives Israel a law, like a set of good rules that will actually lead to their most kind of flourishing and best life. And God is saying, look, since, since you're my people, we're, we're, we're in this relationship. There's some standards here that, that, that we'll use to define our relationship. Right? And the Jews, they're fresh out of slavery. They're like, heck yes, like sign me up. This sounds great. You know, they, they want to do this. And so, so God promised, I will give you blessing for obeying the rules. It's kind of like double, double prizes for the Jews, right? It's like, if you don't go play in the street, I'll actually give you a million dollars. You know, it's like, yes, I'll take that deal. Um, and, I, and I know sometimes this idea of uh, 
like a, a, a relationship that has requirements on it, it can be like off-putting to kind of our, our 21st century Western ears. We're like, ah, that's, just let me be me. Don't try to change me. Love me for who I am. But, but we don't actually like, we don't really believe that. Like we don't actually think that's true. You know, we might say that, but, but none of us actually do this. We, and we know this because uh, many of us are, have been in relationships, right? We'll be in a dating relationship and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll be in a, a marriage relationship. And, and we start to realize this person that we're in relationship with has preferences. And if you don't want to kill each other, you kind of help each other out by, by accommodating one another's preferences. And so uh, God set up this law he wanted Israel to live in such a way that would be for their own good and to display his glory to the rest of the world. And so, so Israel, they, they had this kind of a sordid relationship with the law, right? Sometimes they would follow it and sometimes they wouldn't. Um, and eventually after the, their Babylonian captivity, they came back and they realized, look, we've tried really hard, uh, or we, we haven't been trying really hard to, to obey. This time we're going to. We're going to try really hard and we're going to do everything we can to obey God's rules so, so we don't have to be exiled again. And so in this moment, they, they, they got it backwards, right? They started to believe that, that the law earned them their relationship. And here Paul is saying to this church in Philippi in verses 2 and 3 that, that those rule followers, they're not actually part of God's people. Paul's saying, no, 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 like faithful Philippian brothers and sisters, you are the people of God, right? And not, and not those other people they're, they're, who are trying to earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And so the same, the same is true for us, for those of us who have received Jesus and become people of God, right? And, and all of us, whether we're religious or not, um, we can try to do what the Jewish people did. And, and this is because that we're, we're all born in sin. We're all born with this sinful nature that separates us from God. And so, so this sin and guilt and uh, separation from God creates like a, a sense of not rightness in us. And so until we rest in Christ, we have this underlying feeling that things aren't right. And so we try to alleviate that by, by rolling this boulder up the hill and trying to fix that not rightness. And for some of us, that's going to be our appearance, right? We're going to think like, you know, if I just have the right appearance, the right clothes, the right style, if I'm in shape, that, that sense of not rightness in me is going to go away. And so we'll go to the gym, we'll work hard, you know, uh, and, and we'll start rolling this boulder up the hill of appearance. And then right when we get there, Thanksgiving comes. Christmas comes, Halloween comes, and this boulder just rolls right back down the hill. And so maybe we'll kind of double down, say, I'm going to try really hard in the gym, uh, you know, and try to roll that boulder up again. Or maybe we'll shift gears, right? We'll, we'll say, you know, um, this sense of not rightness, uh, it's, it's actually caused because I don't have all the things that I want, right? And so now we'll find ourselves at the bottom of a new hill, this hill of financial success. And so we'll go to school and we'll start at the bottom of a new hill with a new boulder to get to the top of the mountain of earning this degree only to get the degree and fall back down to realize that we have to find the job. And then we get the job and we start rolling the boulder up the hill again. We get to the top and then we realize that, wait a minute, we finally got this job, but I'm not starting as the CEO. I'm starting on the bottom level and the, the, the boulder rolls back down on us again. And so we work and we work and we work and we work and we almost get to the top and we, we start to get the, the house that we want and the car that we want and the TV that makes the game look perfect. And, and we start to realize that, that these things, even though we have them, they're not actually fixing that sense of not rightness in us. Right? That not rightness is still there. And so the boulder rolls right back down. And so we'll say, oh, okay, here's the problem. I've been devoting myself to my work been devoting myself to advancement and to achievement, and that's not where it is. Where it really is, is in meaningful relationships. And so we'll start working towards meaningful relationships, and we'll roll the boulder up the hill again and again and again, and then we'll get into a meaningful relationship, and that person betrays us. 
And that boulder rolls right back down the hill again. And so, so we think, okay, it's not meaningful relationships. Maybe it's experiences. It's adventure. It's doing new things, right? And so, so we'll work really hard to, to have all these awesome experiences that are going to give us meaning and purpose in life. And then 2020 happens, right? And it doesn't pan out. And we realize that, that these experiences aren't going to give us what we want. And the boulder rolls right back down on us. Over and over again, we find these things to try to earn our sense of uh, uh, fulfillment and, and satisfaction. And every time we get close, it falls back down. And for Paul, it was religion. Paul tried to use religion. That's what we see here in this text. We get a little bit of his highlight reel. Before Paul received Christ, uh, he, he was kind of like the Jews that he's now condemning. Paul thought, you know what? I know what'll fix this not rightness in me. I just need to be a good person. And so Paul cues up the boulder at the bottom of Mount Religion. And here in this text, we see that he did it really well, right? The Jewish law required that the people of God would be circumcised. And for a circumcision to be kosher, to be considered good, it had to be done on the eighth day. So Paul's like, check, got that. And he goes on to talk about his heritage. He says, I was born into the right family, the chosen people of God. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so for that, that was a big bonus. And he's like, check, heritage, got that. Right? Then Paul starts to talk about his religious education, his love for the law. And Paul is a, a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and, and, and he needed to knew, know the Hebrew scripture. And so the Bible tells us in other places that he actually studied under a guy named Gamaliel, who was like one of the most well-respected Pharisees of that day. And so Paul probably knew the whole Torah by heart. He was familiar with the Talmud and the Mishnah, these other, these other religious texts that the Jews subscribed to. And so Paul knew it perfectly, and he obeyed it completely. Right? Pharisees were the most strict uh, religious people, and inside that most strict religious people, uh, he was a, a Shammai, which is like a, a special sect of Phariseeism. And so for them, they thought like, okay, I want to be like Elijah, I want to be like Phinehas, I want to be like these, the Maccabees who led the Jewish people through this revolt. And, you know, that, that was kind of the, the goal. They wanted to have this zeal. So Paul says, I was a Pharisee, check. I had zeal, check. You know, was he a backslid Pharisee, somebody who didn't know the law or who knew the law but didn't do it. He said, no, I obeyed it perfectly. Check. Paul did all of the things that he was supposed to do. And what Paul found out is what all of us who, who try to use religion to, to fix the sense of not rightness in our lives is that it doesn't work. We, we can't, right? And so, so you might be a religious person. Maybe, maybe your, your hill is that, that you're, you know, you've been baptized and you know the scriptures and, and, and you share your faith with others and, and uh, you know, uh, you're a pretty good person and, and, you know, you feel like you're doing all the right things that a religious person should do, but inside there's still this little bit of a tension, right? And, and, and you kind of think that if you work hard enough and do all the right things, this inner feeling, this inner tension will go away, but you realize it doesn't because it never will, we cannot make that sense of not rightness in us go away, no matter what we do. Like what we do will never give us what we need. That's because what we need is given to us by what Jesus did. This is kind of the second take home that, that what we need is given to us by what Jesus did. What we all need, we need righteousness. That's what scripture tells us. And, and, uh, and this was given to us by what Jesus freely did. Right? And, and righteousness, it's in this text, it can kind of be like a, a Christian-y word. And so uh, just to kind of help us understand it, it comes from this, this Greek word, uh, dk sunai. And uh, basically, it can be used to, to talk about like justification, um, being made right, being made holy um, is another idea behind righteousness. And so um, kind of embedded in this text is the idea of being right before God. 
all of us enter this world with a broken relationship with God. We've all turned away from him. We all rebel against him. And instead of following his good standards, we decide that we want to be our own standard setters. And, and as we work to set our own standards, we sin, and that makes us not right before God. And all, all of us feel this, right? We, we are born not right before God, and we sense that. And so we try to fix our not rightness by achieving the career that we want or working towards the family that's awesome or the great relationship status that will make us feel connected or, or achieving uh, you know, success in our religion. And, and all of our own work to fix our not rightness, it only leads to personal pain, and separation from the one who can actually make us right. The one who wants to be in relationship with us, who wants to give us joy and peace and satisfaction and purpose, God has made it possible for us to have those things in him. And this is the good work, right? The good work that he begins in us is that when Jesus came to earth, he was perfect. And he was in perfect relationship with God. He followed the law perfectly, not because he had to, but because his relationship was perfect and he did. Right? And then even though he was guiltless, he died the death of a guilty person taking on our sin and paying the penalty for it. And so that when, when we trust in him, we are forgiven and we're actually given his righteousness. We're, our, our unrighteousness is exchanged for his righteousness and we are made right before God and we can rest in that. We are brought into the family of God and all of a sudden this sense of not rightness that's in us, it just starts to disappear. This is what Paul's talking about in verse 10. It says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. When you place your faith in Christ, he gives you righteousness. He gives you the things that your efforts can never earn. And he removes this, this burden of you trying to make your own righteousness, right? Or, or as Paul would say, uh, the, the righteousness that comes from the law. He gives us a righteousness that comes by faith. And Paul, he's, he's elated by this, right? He says in, in verse eight that he counts everything that he did, all of those things to try to earn righteousness, he counts them as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Everything was a loss compared to knowing Christ. And, and so for me, this, this word loss, it kind of has a different ring to it because I used to work in like retail banking, you know, and so I started off as a teller when I was like 19 and I was like, I was really good at like most of my job. I was great at customer service. I was bringing in new, new banking relationships all the time and, and I was nice. And, you know, there's this one part of being a teller that I was really bad at and that was uh, balancing my cash drawer, which is kind of a big deal because it's like the main part of your job. But uh, I was terrible at it. Every day, you know, you'd have to count down your drawer and you'd have to see how much cash you had and see how many transactions you run. And you say, these are all the credits I took in and these are all the debits I took in. And Am I at zero? And I was never at zero, ever. And so uh, one day I was counting down my, my cash drawer and I was like, you know, wait a minute. This, this can't be right. Count it again. Oh my gosh, this cannot be right. And I counted like three or four times. I get to the end, I was $5,000 short. I literally lost $5,000 for this bank. And where, where I worked, it was like $2,000 and you're automatically fired. You're gone. Like they're investigating you. You probably stole it. Your job is gone. And so I was like kind of freaking out. And so they called in the investigation team. They called in the HR guy. They called in our district manager and they, they put me in this room and they're talking to me. My district manager's name, he was Scott. And I was like, Scott, come on, man. Like, you know, I didn't take the money. Like, you know me, we've, we've gone to lunch together. Like I didn't take that. You know, I said, uh, I'm just not a details guy. 
Like, that's just not my thing. And so I said, I'm really good at this job. I'm constantly bringing in new business. The, the customer service scores are off the charts. And so, so here's a plan. How about, like, instead of firing me, you could just promote me to being a personal banker because then I won't have to touch cash anymore and I can still kind of do a good job giving good service to our customers. And he kind of looks over at me first like I'm crazy, you know, and then he looks over at our HR guy and he's like a, he stepped out of the room for a minute. And so I come back in and they're like, hey man, we, we enrolled you in Banker Academy. We're going to start you off as a banker. You're not fired. You get to keep your job. And we're actually going to promote you for taking a $5,000 loss, right? It was completely backwards. But, but this is not what Paul's talking about, right? What happened to me is not what Paul's talking about because what I did in this situation was I stacked up all of my work, everything that I brought, all the value I added to the bank and I put it over here and I said, this is why you should keep me. And so I got to keep my job, but I never got to enjoy it right? I constantly felt this pressure that I had to do really well to prove that I deserved this job, that, that my works, that my efforts gave me. I had no security. My job was only as good as I was. And I had the constant underlying sense that it could be taken at any moment, right? What I did was take all of my credits, all the work that I had done, and tried to balance out the money that I had lost, my debit. And this type of credit-debit balancing, this is not what Paul is talking about. On the scale of cosmic rightness, Paul moves all of his credits, all of the work that he did, all of the good things that he did, and he takes it over to the debt column. He says they were worthless. They did nothing for me. And then he puts Jesus on the credits, and he says, this balances all my debt. It wipes it all away. Paul was promoted from a legalist kind of righteous person into the family of God, and his new position was unshakable because it was not based on what he did right? It was based on what Jesus did for him. And so there was assurance and security that that is the good work. That is the good work that God is doing in us. His internal sense of not rightness had been radically transformed and, and supernaturally transformed into rightness before God and the feelings of meaninglessness and hopelessness and anxiety. They were transformed into purpose and peace and hope. This is the good work that God begins in us. Paul said that he suffered the loss of all things, but he counts those things as rubbish because of life with Jesus, it's just better. Life with Jesus is better than a perfect appearance. Life with Jesus is better than the perfect job and, and, and career advancements. Life with Jesus is better than the perfect family, right? The Instagram family. Life, is, life with Jesus is better than perfect relationships and perfect experiences. And, and being freely given a place in the family of God is better than trying to work to earn his favor. And when we, when we trust in Christ, we get a new life with Jesus on earth and this internal sense of not rightness, it's fixed. And we can, we can stop working to make ourselves right. We can, we can begin to truly enjoy our experiences, right? We can begin to truly enjoy our relationships because we're not putting the, the, the pressure of those things being our savior on them. We can enjoy our work. This is the good news, right? This is the good news that God is beginning and so this doesn't mean that we'll have hard times, right? Paul's pretty clear about this in verse 10. He says that we're going to share in the sufferings of Jesus. We, we suffer, right? We all suffer. Paul suffered. 2020 happens, you know? That's, that's real. But the difference is that when, when we're in Christ, we suffer with hope. We can be comforted by God during the suffering, and we can look forward with hope to the resurrection, right? We will one day die, but those of us in Christ will be raised back to life just like Jesus was, and we'll be given a, a new and perfect body, and we'll exist in this new and perfect earth. Like heaven will meet earth, and we will live in this constant state of perfection with no pain, no loneliness, no anxiety. We'll have everything that we desire with no dissatisfaction. Right? We'll have perfect relationships, and we'll have the most fulfilling experiences. 
And best of all, we'll be in the perfect presence of our Lord Jesus, who's so radiant with glory that there's no need for his son because his glory lights the day, right? That, that is the future that we have to look forward to. And so in Christ, our sense of not rightness is fixed and we are made right and we get to enjoy life on this earth with him and we are comforted by him during our suffering and we look forward to this future hope of eternity with him as well. But what we do will never give us what we need. What we need is given to us by what Jesus did. And that is our hope, right? And it's, it's funny, I was working on this and um, I don't know if you're all familiar with the New City Catechism. Uh, we take our, we take our, we have, I have a, a four-year-old turning five, a, a two-year-old who's turning three pretty soon, and then we have a 10-month-old. And we take them through this, this thing called the New City Catechism. And catechism is just a fancy word for uh, questions, right? And so we ask them these questions, and then they're kind of theological questions, and then they give us the answers back, and it kind of teaches them about their faith. And so the New City Catechism, they have this uh, kid's version with songs. And, and as I was writing this, I kept being reminded of the very first one, the very first question that you're asked in this catechism is, what is our only hope in life and death? And it's that we are not our own, but we belong to God. That is our hope. We belong to a God who deeply loves us. He deeply cares for us. And he does the thing that we cannot do for ourselves. right? He sacrificed himself. Jesus sacrificed himself so that we can be made righteous. That is a good God. And that is our hope now in this world and forever as we look to eternity, that, that we belong to God when we put our faith in Jesus. And so at Flourishing Grace, there have been tremendous examples of people doing this, right? Tremendous examples of people trusting in Jesus and being brought into his family. And so during this series, we're going to look at God sustaining grace in the life of the people who, who are in this church. And so Lindsay Spinning, I don't think she, she was here in the first gathering. If you see her, uh, say hi. But she actually... Uh, shot a video to kind of tell us her story about uh, being brought from death to life and what that looked like. And so we're going to watch that quickly, and then uh, I'll kind of be right back. Lindsay Spinning, and I've been a Christian for four years. Uh, before I became a follower of Jesus, my view of God was that I was terrified of him. I was scared of who he was. I grew up just being taught to check off boxes and to do certain things, to be uh, with him one day. Um, and I just, it wasn't somebody that I was taught to have a relationship with. It was uh, more of like demands and follow those demands. Or uh, not somebody that I really could like go to with uh, problems or I wasn't really taught how to pray and I, w I was scared of him. I really put all of my hope into other, other worldly things, other people, um, friendships, uh, boyfriends. Um, I always felt that I had to be a certain way to uh, be loved. Um, my hope in things were temporary. They were not uh, ever satisfied and I would get hurt a lot because of that because I would put my trust and hope in people who would let me down over and over. Growing up, I was uh, God was talked a lot about 
but Jesus wasn't. I didn't, I did not know who Jesus was uh, when I was growing up into my young adulthood. Um, and then when I walked into Flourishing Grace Church and started to learn about Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus was when I realized that I had been missing it my whole entire life. Um, it wasn't about checking off boxes. It wasn't about doing all the work because uh, Jesus already has done that for me. Um, it changed the way that I perceived God because of Jesus. And I wasn't scared of God anymore. Um, I knew that building my relationship with Jesus and knowing that He died on the cross for me and I was saved because of my belief in Him was enough and I didn't need to prove myself otherwise. Looking back on my life and especially when I was uh, first married and our, my relationship with Vinny, I could, now looking back, I could see where God was working. Um, I didn't see God show up until my heart was softened and that was when my grandpa passed away uh, and that 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 event that happened in my life was what God used to soften my heart and make me see that there was something more than just worldly things or hope in people and I was given a postcard by these two girls just randomly and to go to a to go to a church and I never wanted to have anything to do with anything like that and then that day it was a day after my grandpa's funeral I knew that that was God looking back on it now I knew that was God working in my life and we walked into that building at the time it was uh, Bountiful Heights it's Flourishing Grace now and our, our lives have never been the same. Uh, God definitely showed up in that moment. Uh, now that I am a follower of Jesus, I, I see him quicker, quicker in my life. Uh, we, especially this last year with uh, Vinny uh, losing his job, um, God's grace has just filled our build our home and I have learned the joy in suffering and it has brought me closer to him because of all of the circumstances that we have been through. Uh, I see his grace in my kids and their relationship that they are gaining each, you know, each day and moment because of my relationship with him, because of the people that we surround ourselves with. Um, and I wake up knowing His mercies are new every single day and I continue to remind myself that Jesus is enough and I just put Him above everything else and I don't worry so much about checking off boxes. Uh, I don't worry about that at all actually. It's just I believe in Him and that is enough.
great story. Let's give Lindsay a hand clap here. I think she's right over there. That takes so much courage to share your story like that, and so I'm thankful that she would do that for us. And, and what I love about that story is, one, we didn't, we didn't collaborate, right? That was, that was her true story, you know? And, and it just lines up with what we see in Scripture so well, that, that God saves us. He, he rescues us from this life of, of achievement, and he, he sustains us through these hard times. You know, and it's all by, by his sustaining grace. And so, so the, the charge is to not go through this world like Sisyphus, right? Like we're, like we're rolling this boulder up a hill trying to fix what's broken in our lives. You know, because we'll do that. And anytime we start to feel like there's, like there's something going right when we're doing this, uh, something will happen and the boulder rolls us back down right? But we serve, we serve Jesus, and, and he is so big, and he loves us so much that, that he comes up alongside of us as we're rolling this boulder, right? This boulder of career or family or achievement, this thing that we're using as a functional savior that was never meant to bear that weight and always disappoints us. He, as we're rolling this boulder, he takes it, and he puts it in his hand, right? And then he takes us, and he puts us in his other hand, and he actually carries us up the hill, he does for us what we can never do for ourselves. And so, so my charge today is simple, is to just rest in the work that he has done for you, the work that he has freely given you. Rejoice that you are a daughter or son of God, and then you can live in the freedom of the gospel. Stop pursuing the things in this world, thinking that they will, that they will help you or, or that they will be the thing that gives you satisfaction and just, just trust in Jesus to be that for you. Because what we, what we do will never give us what we need, and what we need was done by what Jesus did. So please bow your heads with me. Father, we're so, we're so thankful for this truth um, that comes out of your word, that, uh, that you're a good God, that you deeply love us and you deeply care for us and that you uh, free us from uh, a life of straining and working, uh, pursuing empty, empty pleasures, empty empty purposes, God, and we worship you that you do that. We thank you. We don't take it for granted. We ask, Lord, that we would be a people who rest in our identity in you, that as we go out this week, Lord, that we would be people who rest in the fact that we are daughters and sons of you. We're thankful for that. We pray for anybody who hasn't, hasn't received Jesus, Lord. We ask that you would just draw them uh, to yourself and that your kindness would lead them to repentance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Yeah, we're going to stand and sing one more song before we leave here this afternoon.